Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Make You Known podcast. Today we're going a little bit off-piste. Our topic is without agenda, as in we are coming here not to uh, talk about a particular book or a specific theme, but basically our guest today is Mr. Pete Cleveland. Uh, Pete, thank you for joining us. Lovely um, to be here. Yeah, well, so, and part of our kind of reason for coming together today is you and I have enjoyed some conversations over the last few months during mm. lockdown, mm. and um, it's been... I've really enjoyed having that opportunity and that um, stimulation during oh, that me time. Too. So, um, yeah, thanks for that. And I just enjoyed our conversations. I enjoyed some of the encouragements that you've given as well. Mm. And I thought it'd be really cool to just um, have a chat and unpack some of that stuff. And hopefully um, we're just going to kind of see where it goes because without agenda was one of your little um, thoughts, wasn't it? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what, what was that about at the time? So I guess it's, it was something born, I guess, a little bit of context um, I took on a new role in September in lockdown and um, I became the pastor of this wonderful church and I was in a, a good rhythm but um, of I guess time with God the going out the coming in kind of thing but actually I knew there was more and I wanted to explore that and so actually I began this thought of um, you know, the daily and the weekly time with God. And that actually part of my new role involves speaking or message preparation or all that kind of stuff. And so as I as I got into that, I, I realized I'd taken over a church where there wasn't the Sunday thing of, uh, I guess, rhythm of preparing a message, doing church, in that we were in lockdown and that our services were online. And so actually the chief part of my job and still is a big part of my job, but particularly at that time when we weren't having the Sundays, was to focus in on uh, just people and what we did in all the avenues of what church meant, from the food bank to connect groups to all kinds of stuff. And so without agenda came as this thought because I wasn't having to prep for anything. And I just really felt God, the Holy Spirit, say to me, well, what if it was always like this? And so I got into the book of Acts, which is a great place to get into when you're um, you know, all about the, the church as it was, you know, figuring it out when when Jesus had, had gone back to heaven. And basically a third of the book of Acts is text. It's text. It's uh, not text, sorry, speech. So um, all of Acts is text. But it's, it's, it's speech. It's the dialogue. And it's different dialogue. It's, it's you know, Stephen before he was stoned. It's, it's Peter talking his first sermon. It's Paul um, talking to various audiences about either his testimony or what it means for them as Jews or as Gentiles. But the whole point was, was that all these guys, when they were put in situations where they could speak, they hadn't prepped a message or they hadn't um, spent time in their week going, right, I've got to prepare for this. And then going to the Bible with a sense of, you know, Peter, when he spoke that first message, it was from the overflow of his revelation. He stood up in front of the crowds at what we now call Pentecost, but for them it was, you know, whatever day of the week it was. And um, it was out of the overflow of his encounter. And for me, I looked up, you know, what does agenda mean? It means you bring a set of points that you want to discuss. And so the whole without agenda thing came from, what if we just always came seeking encounter? And rather than agenda, appointment, if you like, 
can rob us of that encounter experience. And so when we come to our quiet times, when we come to just time with God, instead of thinking, well, I've got this thing I'm going to prepare for, it's just God's, here's some space. Can I quiet? Can I still the voice? Can I um, journal? Learn how to journal rather than message write. And I guess the challenge was maybe I never write write a message again as someone who preaches, but just actually... Um, could cultivate this these moments of um, without agenda. So that it's a long answer to a short question, but I hope that gives it you know a framework. No, that's really good. It's given me um, loads of potential avenues to go down well, <laughs> off good. the back of that. So, um, and firstly, I should apologise that I didn't introduce you as your role. I introduced you as Pete Cleveland, but I didn't that's say right. that you're a pastor. <laughs> Here we are um, at Hillsong Tunbridge. Um, so that's really interesting because do you think you're going to bring that in then into preparing messages? Because one of these things I've often thought about is how do you prepare for a message? Like not many people really talk about mm. that kind of thing. How do we prepare to share the gospel? And I know we're going to possibly touch mm. on that a little bit later anyway. But yeah, so what are your thoughts on preparing to share? Absolutely. Well, I think off the back of, you know, the whole without agenda thing, I think to clarify there are times when the Bible calls for us to come with thanksgiving and petition. So it's not about throwing a prayer life out the window when I'm, or, or craft or that, oh, what, what, we can't, what we can't use it for is an excuse to not hone a craft or actually bring specific things to God. That's not what this is about. You know, Matthew 6 and how to pray, that's really important. However, we need to also have these spaces of space and freedom so when it comes to preparing for whatever whatever it is let's say a sunday message or um do you know what maybe it's just having like you said being able to talk about your faith and the gospel and your story the craft of that is important now my background is secondary school teaching and um when i first started working for church it was about six years ago and my background is music production um my initial thought was well how is this going to link from secondary school but actually, I've discovered that it was some of the best place to prepare me because, you see, being a teacher prepares you, gives you a skill set where you can present and teach. And actually, you can you can hone um, skill sets, pace, you know, how to listen, how to read a room to take something in a different direction, you know, teenagers will really hone that skill within you because if you don't, if you're not able to read a room, sometimes you might have to put down that which you had prepared to take it slower or maybe go over something again or, and you learn how to do that in the classroom. And so a lot of that I bring actually to, um, to sort of message prep if you like. But the key question to ask as it was in the classroom, which was always, what is it I'm trying to actually do here? Because teaching isn't about getting through content. It's about equipping the younger generation. And it's the same with preaching. You might have a whole heap of stuff that you think, wow, I want to speak about this. But you've got to ask the question, God, what is it that, it, that, that you and I were partnering? What is it that what I can serve you with? What is it we're trying to do here? And often that approach brings a simplicity. And sometimes you quickly realize, I've got too much here for 35 minutes. There's actually a whole series here. So rather than try and cram it in, which is what you do early on in teaching, you try and fit content 
and you often have quite rushed lessons, but I've just got to finish this. You learn over time in teaching where to naturally draw a line and go, hey, we got through this and it's really good and I'm going to now land it in a really good way. It's the same when you come to preaching. What's the thought that we want to give people a, a chance to respond to Jesus? That's always the final point. So that we don't just have, well, I didn't realize that, that was interesting, but how do we bring it back to what's your response to Jesus today? And that, when you approach preaching, gives you often a really nice clear line. Whether you're coming about it from the different, you know, maybe it's three or four points about a particular passage, maybe it's thematic preaching, we're always going towards that end point of, but yeah, but you in the room, how will you respond today to these characteristics of God that we're talking about and how what he thinks about you? So I guess every time I prepare, I bring the experience from the classroom and I ask the questions now, God and the Holy Spirit, you know, what is it you want to do today in this place? And then we land and we land well. We don't land rushed. And there's been times when I've had a whole sheet in front of me and I've gone, that's just for another day. Because actually I want to finish presenting what your response could be in this moment. And then, obviously, you know, if that's ministry or whatever it might be afterwards. So I guess those are the boundaries and the framework and the guidelines. And then once you've got that, it's nice to then operate within those and prepare. So. Yeah, that's cool. No, that's cool. And I was just thinking as you were saying that, um, would it be fair to say that to some extent, um, we, when you get asked to deliver a message or whatever, mm. you might prepare a lot in the run-up and be thinking about it and praying about it and all the rest of it. But actually, to some extent, we should be almost prepared daily to deliver a message of some kind, even if yeah. it's only two minutes. Now, I've not thought about it before now in that way, so I've not done that. I'm not saying that's what I do, but now I'm thinking about it. Do you think, is that a good... Um, I think or? I think the way to see it is maybe remove the word message. It's interesting. It's a word that we've often brought, almost brought in, you know, in our modern language around Christianity. It's a helpful word. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with the word. But I, what I don't want people to think about is I need to walk around almost like with a, with guns ready to sort of preach. Does that make sense? <laughs> if you look at Acts again and the Gospels, what God was after was the life-changing power that is in your story, because that is what people will connect with. So rather than having kind of, you know, spending time in the Word of God equips us to do that, not so that we are theologically necessarily ready to win an argument. No one ever came to church because they lost an argument. They came to church because something in your story they're connected with, and there's that sense of, wow, well, if God is real, and if he could do it for Jason, could he do it for me? So I think the being ready thing, actually, in all things, whether it's the without agenda or whether we're preparing for something, God always wants to take the pressure off. Take the pressure off. Because the results are not our responsibility. They're not. He will build his church. The power of the Holy Spirit, that's not our responsibility. But if we're ready to talk openly... You know, about our story, about what, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? That's what people connect with. And that's what actually even works best, even on a Sunday when you're preaching. Keep putting yourself alongside somebody else. Being real. I don't necessarily have the answer to that, but can I tell you what God's done in my life? That's, that's where I'd go with that rather than I've got messages lined up. I've got thoughts that I've been really encouraged with. And I've asked the question, is that just for me or is that for the church? Or is that for another setting? And um, you discover that along the way. 
And uh, it's what we consume. We end up essentially, you know, give, what we give our attention to essentially makes up our beings, our lives. And so if you're giving your attention to the word of God and being around others that build you up, naturally when you're around anybody, that's who you'll be. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's that's good, and that attention point at the end is good. It reminds me of that John Mark Comer quote about at the end of our day, uh, at the end yeah. of our lives, our lives are the sum of what we gave our attention to. What we to gave our, our attention to. Um, yeah, I love it. I think it's so good. Um, just to rewind a bit, then you mentioned about being a teacher and mm. being in music and stuff. So, how about you just share a little bit about your sort of journey to mm. where you are now? Like, did the twelve-year-old Pete imagine he would be here today, or what? I have no idea. Twelve years, twelve year old was a long time ago, um, in the glorious nineties. Just about, I should clarify. In ninety nine, I was twelve. Um, that's a complete lie. Ninety seven. Gosh, sorry. Quick maths. There you go. I wasn't a maths teacher. I was a geography teacher, and I loved it. So you it. know where you were. Um, exactly. <laughs> I loved it, and I loved it because I loved that interaction with youth, teenagers. It brings an energy. Every day is different. Um, so no is the quick answer I didn't imagine I'd be here my, my dad is a, is a vicar is a minister so I grew up around a church setting but I never thought or had that destiny you know as a career path I guess I was given some good advice when I was leaving uni um, because I think in your early 20s you get very caught up with especially when it comes to I guess where I was in my faith as well the specific plan thing but do I, should i get a job there should i take a job here what if this what if what if my wife is waiting for me in this location and god god give me a sign you know that kind of that's where i was at and um i had some really good advice which was which was actually hey let's bring it back to what jesus actually does say even in the great commission he just says go he just says go and i'll be with you and so that was incredibly freeing because then it wasn't like I had to take the, Do you know what I mean? The things that we try to line up, God's like, all I need you to do is line up with me, the alignment thing, not try and get your ducks in a row. And I guess from then I kind of followed the path of, well, I'm going to do what I enjoy, what I feel called to, what I feel a sense of purpose in. And, um, and, and that led to teaching. And then I enjoyed that. And then there became eight years into teaching. There was this opportunity. Um, Grant and Ellen, who were the pastors here at the time, they're now in, doing a fantastic job up in Edinburgh. Um, they had us around for dinner. And kind of out the blue, really, they um, said, well, look, would you like to come and work uh, doing and looking after our sort of vocal music team's production? And um, for me, music's always been there in the background. I love music I, from when I started the piano when I was young, young age to the guitar, I thought, that sounds awesome. And I didn't take it with a, oh, well, but I wonder where I'll be in five years. I guess I've always just had that kind of, yeah, that the door's open. It feels great. For me, I loved doing that as a job, and I still love it, because for me, I felt, felt that my purpose, what are my passion, and then my employment lined up. And for me, I, re I read this book called The Element. And um, that's basically, he. Um, I forget the name of the author, but it's basically that's when you describe as someone in their element. And I felt like I was in my element, and I still do. And I, and I I'm so, feel so, so blessed to be in this position where 
that is a reality. And so here I am, but no, I don't have a where I want to be in five years plan. Um, but I kind of love how that fits into the, again, the without agenda thing. It's not a laziness. It's a being available thing. And this idea of adventure. And um, for me, with the Great Commission and Matthew, you know, the end of the Gospels, I think that's the, we're called to the adventure wherever we are. And I think that's where I've, where I've, I think I've always liked to sit myself. And again, I'll keep coming back to it. It takes the pressure off, which is awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I think that um, wherever we are that you just said there as well is um, interesting because I think a lot of people are sort of thinking, and I know I can be like this as well, like, ah, oh, once I get to X place mm. in life or whether that's geographically or right. financially or whatever, career-wise, then I'll do this or that. But actually, there's a lot to be had today. Is that fair? There's everything. I mean, we just talked about what you gave your attention to. We're so used to, like you say, waiting for the next step so I can. But the danger in that, and we're all, me included, it's not like I've transcended to some level where, absolutely not, I'm, I still struggle with every, all of these things. But what's really refreshing is the point I come back to, to then go again. I think that's, that's the whole point of this kind of without agenda thing. You're absolutely right. If I'm there, then I can do this. But so often when we, actually, when we go back to scripture, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus, the invitation is come, you'll see, come follow me. And we often, but what about this and that and, and all the nitty gritty and the detail? And we just, we have a God who says, you'll see, would you trust? And I think that's where we learn actually his will for our lives. Actually, our will then changes to be his will. And I, I think we, we talked about this, this a little bit as well. And I don't want to jump ahead, but um, okay, for, for me, it's another John Mark Comer quote, but I just love it. If the book we're talking about is um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a fantastic read. But he says in it, it's one of my favorite quotes in the whole book. He says, um, wisdom is born in the quiet, in the still. But this is the bit I love. It says wisdom has its own pace. And it's often when the restlessness, the tumultuous thoughts and emotions die down, that wisdom starts to, to bring itself to the, to the surface. And this wisdom, which when we come without agenda, starts springing up in these different areas. We start seeing things. We get discernment in areas we weren't even thinking about. And I think sometimes we want wisdom, discernment, answers, like a download. It always reminds me of the movie The Matrix, which, again, show my age a little bit, is 22 years old. Yeah, I'm 99, it came out, I think. So. Right. I mean, Keanu Reeves, bless him, he's nearly 60, I think, which is just... Still looks the same. Oh, yeah, he looks incredible, <laughs> you know, as a tangent. But, um, you know, in The Matrix, they're able to download skills when they want them, which I thought, and all of us thought, was really cool. I need to be awesome at Taekwondo. Five seconds later, boom, it's downloaded. Oh, can I fly a helicopter? Yep, you can do it. And I think if we set ourselves up with God in that way and we go to the Bible in that way, we are bringing an agenda. No matter how um, pure, outward focused, whatever it might be, we are bringing an agenda. If we bring our list of prayer points and priorities, we need to bring them to God. But if we bring them then with our proposed solution, God's not after the proposal. 
he's after the let's bring it to him and the trust thing. And for me, when you learn to still, you know, that be still thing, Proverbs talks about crying out for wisdom and seeking it like you would for silver and treasure. But for me, that's born in the stillness and that wisdom, I love it, has its own pace. And God's answer has its own pace and his direction for our lives and what should be next in our mind. But God, I really need an answer on this because I need to tell my boss by Tuesday. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Or there's really noble um, boundaries that we might like to put. But, but we follow a God of the, you'll see. Can you today learn how to live, to abide? I love that word. We'll come on to that. But, um, and trust that I've got this. And that actually, if you allow me to have this, you know, there'll be things that you can't even imagine right now around the corner. And for me, nine years in the classroom, although I loved it, there were definitely points when I thought, well, is this the rest of my life now? Am I a teacher? And I began to question and think, what does this look, and I think we all do in our 30s, you know, what does this look like for the next 20 years? And do I want that in 20? And it was at that time, unbeknownst to me, that stuff started working in the background about the job becoming available. And and now I'm doing something which, to circle back, could you see yourself doing this? No, I couldn't. But if you had said this, I'd have been blown away because I couldn't even imagine this. And it's awesome. So yeah. I think in a circulatory way, I hopefully have answered that. Yeah, as, as before, um, it's given me a lot of fodder. Um, mm. So I, I guess to some extent what I'm taking from the, the wisdom thing is it's more about a, po a poise yeah. of heart than doing a specific thing. And yeah. whilst those things are important that we do, um, yeah, it's an almost an, uh, a way of being. It's a lean. Um, yeah. It's not a set of rules. It's not a do this and you'll. It's a lean, it's a heart. It's in the same way when we're in a relationship, you know, I love my wife, we've been married 11 years. We don't agree on everything. We love each other, we lean it, we're unified in that. We, we, it's a lean. Do we get things wrong? Of course we do, but because of the lean of our heart, we say sorry quickly. And we, you know, we love it when we're in that harmony with one another. And I think that's, you know, and I come back to that word abide. It's a command word, abide in me, you know, John. And I in you. And actually, if you don't learn to abide, there's a pretty stark warning there about without, if you, if you, you might be doing everything that looks right, but if you're not abiding, it's, it's no good. In fact, it, 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 it's even as strong in John as to say, um, it's John 15, 4 or John 4, 15. I think it's 15, 4. You know, you, could, you can't do anything. You're not going to achieve anything, you know, for the kingdom, for church, for ministry, if you don't learn. And abide is living in, it's to dwell in, it's to learn to be at ease and comfortable within the will of God. And um, it's a command word. It's not a suggestion. It's, it's a command word. So again, it's in that the without encounter thing that we learn the craft of abiding, if that makes sense. So I yeah, love that word. Yeah, that's, it's great. Um, I remember someone saying we don't need to when it comes to Christianity, it's not a case of try harder, it's a case of abide more, Yeah, which I thought was really helpful, actually, because naturally, maybe everyone, or certainly myself, I feel disposed to always go, oh, I just need to put in a bit more yeah. sweat, a bit more grit, and it's not necessarily actually That's about right. that. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so we sort of talked about how you got here. Mm. Um, 
just off the back of that kind of we've been in lockdown obviously it's not an easy time to be switching roles and all that kind of stuff yeah. maybe it is i don't know because things are quiet but what was your thoughts just something that came up in conversation earlier um people have got used to being sat at home kind yeah. of not really engaging with other christians in in a collective sense mm -hmm. in the same way because we can't do you think that there might be a bunch of people who are kind of like yeah i've kind of got used to this lifestyle and i quite enjoy yeah. just kind of watching something on my sofa on a Sunday and then yeah. getting on with my work. What would you say to people who kind of feel in that way that they're not really interested in re-engaging and... Sure. I mean, you're abs the world has changed and the job of the church is not to return to what was and make people certainly feel that they should also. The role of the church is to bring a methodology um, around the message of Jesus Christ. And so if that's changed, we're not clamoring for that which was. And so I'd say, I'd say it's okay. The world has changed and our habits and the way we view things and the way even we use like transport and I don't know, you know, I think whole industries will be different and are learning how to be different. And I think the church, not an industry, but as an organization, we need to learn that our priority first and foremost is not to put on church and to get everyone in the room. You know, these are really um, almost dangerous if the priority is, right, we just need to get everyone back. No, no, no. So for us, one thing I love about church for us is that the online thing, it's not going away. It's going to be there. And we don't put waiting on, if you come back, you're this kind of, well done, faithful servant. You've come, you know what I mean? Like we don't reward because there's absolutely people who are also sat watching church at home who have legitimate and very serious health needs that require them to do that. So on our website, I love the approach of, look, save your seat, i.e. come to the room or watch online. They're equal. One isn't bigger. One isn't shout louder. One isn't rewarded more. You can be part of our church the church of jesus christ in either way so in terms of what i guess you're asking about which is the sunday experience of church we're not going to certainly not make people feel here's three reasons why you need to be back and okay if you're not back it's okay but you should be trying to come back the world's changed communities change but here's what i'd say also as an encouragement we as human beings we're not designed to live in isolation so let's be innovative about how we connect, whether that's, you know, at the moment in the park, in homes, whatever that is, we need the church as Christian believers. And there's something about being around others which ignites the, the Christ in us, if you like. The, we're encouraged, right? Somebody said the quote once, they said, courage takes encouragement, and it certainly does. And so I would not see this then as a, as opportunity to go well that's fine then pete says i can live as a hermit and never come back so do you know what i mean there is a balance there now if you don't feel comfortable coming back to a room of people especially in this time please don't feel pressured to do so but let's not cut ourselves off from community so um you know as we look forward to that of course i'd encourage the room is awesome there's something about that but it's not the be all and end all and it's certainly not everything that the church is so hopefully, in both situations, be encouraged. Yeah, 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 and um, yeah, it would be. I think it would be great that people who have engaged for the first time online might 
then come into the room where they might not have done before and well, they had something. On Sunday they did. With three people in church, who joined our church in lockdown, never stepped foot in the building, have joined connect groups in lockdown, and we're here Sunday just gone. Fantastic. So there you go. Yeah, great. Um, I was, Sorry to interrupt. No, that's great to hear. Um, I'm just deciding where to go next because um, there's just, again, there's so many places we can go. Um, shall we go down the um, context route? Before we go down the quick fire questions, we will hit the quick fire questions. Mm -hmm. um, let's hit the context thing because I think that's something you've spoken about before, yeah. which is um, interesting and important. Like it's, it's, Kind of there's an old phrase context is king which you know kind of it's important in our yeah. understanding and application of scripture yeah. um yeah so you i remember you saying talking about the um this is where i'm going to make a right hash of a trying to remember a passage of scripture oh, where it talks ago, about yeah the caesarea philippi thing when matthew 16 uh, yeah jesus mm. um tells peter that on this rock yeah you take it from there, if you will. Um, yeah. So he he um, he said, and in the message paraphrase, it says, uh, "On this, I'll build my church, a church so expansive in energy, the gates of hell shall not prevail." And this phrase, "the gates of hell" or "the gates of Hades," is used in all the translations. And it's an incredible verse, and it's preceded by Peter saying, Jesus asking Peter, "Who do you say I am?" And Peter says, "You're the Christ." And it's the first time, it's this, it's this almost graduation day, if you like, where Jesus is like, they're getting it, they're getting it. And I often feel when I'm reading scripture, I love that question, I feel the Holy Spirit often prompts me, are you getting this? Do you get this yet? I'm taking you deeper. Do you know what I mean? So I think there was that moment of, they're getting it. And Jesus then gives Peter one of the highest compliments, I mean, ever, let's just put it out there. He says... He says this, basically, that verse um, escapes me, but it's, it's Matthew 16. And he says, look, blessed to you because you didn't get this from books. You didn't get this from others. Your declaration of me being the Christ has come from my Father in heaven. So he's saying to him, you're hearing from God. You didn't get this from anyone. You're hearing from God. How's that feel? And I'm going to build my rock. You're the rock. I'm going to start my church on. So this verse is beautiful. It's empowering in its content. And so often we can stop there, particularly modern Christianity, modern Christians, me included, we can stop at the content and be encouraged. And it's absolutely right to be encouraged by content. But if we're not careful, we live this skimmed version of our faith where we almost on, I think Comer again describes it as like riding a jet ski over the waves. And sometimes we need to scuba dive, not cover ground, but get into this. Now, I'm not, um, you know, I have a theology degree, but I love context. You know, part of my geography, you know, and I had the privilege of going to Israel and I went to Caesarea Philippi. And the thing that really struck me, and it, there's two things that struck, strike me still now. One is the distance. It's about 30 to 40 miles north of where Jesus was with them. He was on the northwestern side of Galilee. If you read Matthew 15, they were in a boat. He then takes them 30, 40 miles north. Now, let's remember they walked. Now, I know you're super fit and all your CrossFit stuff. But for most of us, if you said, should we go on a walk? Cool. Where are we going? About 40 miles. Right? Uh, I think I think if you look at the elevation gain, which is super sad, but you can do this, right? I think it's about a kilometer up, right? So it's not just flat and it's dusty and it's hot. 
and it's Caesarea Philippi. Now to us, it means nothing, right? Most of us, just another biblical name. Then they went to Caesarea Philippi and then we had the dialogue. Now Caesarea Philippi was beautiful. It was where the springs came out. I think it's the bottom of Mount Hernon, but it was, um, it was known by the religious or the Jewish communities around Galilee for being a place that you do not go to. It was kind of the red light district of its day. Um, it was not a place a rabbi should be taking his, his students, if you like, his disciples. And it was, what, however quickly you want to walk 30, 40 miles. Now, I don't know how much distance they traveled in a day, but let's say it's two days, right? Realistically. I mean, you could maybe, I don't know, anyway. So you've got to walk for two days towards a place where they're all probably thinking, why are you going to, do you know, right? And Jesus waits till he gets there to give this proclamation, right? And it's, I believe it's intentional because, and scholars would agree because at Caesarea Philippi, it was known as the, in the ancient world for the worship of this God, um, Pan. Greeks, the Romans, there were temples there. It's quite a happening place, but it was a pagan centre of some of the most detestable things that you can think about would be going on. And there was this cave at the base where the spring came out of. And, and I'm happy to be wrong if people want to write, write in and say that's incorrect, but I, I love learning, so please do. But basically this cave was known at that time as the gateway to hell because the, they believed that the water coming from the cave was the spring that would carry to Hades and so they did all sorts of can't even speak about them things in worship to this god Pan in the hope that he would you know there was this transaction almost so these guys weren't just at the gates of hell they were knocking on the door of the gates of hell eliciting a response it was that darker place and of course around that was a culture and a community fascinated by and ruled by this, this ugly, ugly, ugly lifestyle of hedonism, sacrifice, hell, right? That's where, that's Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you go there today, it's beautiful. It's not that, but there's still this cave. And Jesus took them to this place within sight of this cave. And they're all thinking, what are we doing here? And he says, who am I? Who am I? Just saying, here we are. Who am I? And, G and Peter has the audacity to say, you're not just a teacher. You're not just this guy we're following because he performs these miracles. You're the Christ. And Peter had the boldness to say that, even in the presence of the gates of hell. And so Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And I'm going to call you to come to places like this because even this won't stand against it. Even everything you can see won't prevail. Even the gates of hell, that cave, and everything it represents won't prevail because what you say on earth, as it is on earth, it's going to be in heaven. So he took them to the place to give them that confidence that they then walked back to, to Galilee, which was safe, Capernaum, the places that they knew with this experience of where they'd been. And so the context of just that short half of verse, then they went to Caesarea Philippi, I think gives so much more power to the content. And I think the big thing we were talking about was if you stop at the content, yeah, be encouraged. God's gonna God's not 
God's not limited by how deep you dive into the Bible, but if you just would deep, take a bit more of a dive, learn, read, ask questions of the text. Um, my goodness, there's so much more revelation in the context because you might feel like you're in a place. Do you know what I mean? And, and God's still saying, my church, it will, um, it will prevail even in this context. It's, it's there. So content, great. Context together, deeper revelation. And, um, and I think that's what we were talking about. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, so that's a great story. It's a, uh, a rich illustration, I think, of, of the importance of it. And what are your thoughts on like, how we know? Um, because I think the context helps with application. Mm. So, and I just feel like there's a balance to be had, but sometimes it's not always obvious where that lies. Because obviously, if we took everything literally or or without looking at context, we mm. would still be applying Levitical law and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, we don't want to be at the other end of the spectrum where we dismiss the most simple commands because we're like, well, that was written to first century Jews. It's not for us. Yeah. So, so how do you go about... I mean, I think the, there's two things I've said so far. The pressure's off, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't feel any pressure in mm-hmm. that in that in that in that sort of um, you know balancing yeah. act. For me, it's actually very simple, and it goes back to the heart's lean thing. Paul, in his letters, would often say, he said it to the Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus. He said it to the church at Colossae. It's Colossians one verse nine, ten. He, he always prays this prayer that you would grow in your knowledge of him. And this is, again, where context is really important, right? Because often when we think knowledge, we think head knowledge, right? Like knowledge of how these cameras work or knowledge of how the craft thing. And if you stop there with knowledge, head knowledge, you, you often, you, you know, you're more interested in context and this kind of clever Christianity and that I can present an argument. And here's my three points on but you miss the inference of what Paul's saying. You see, there's different types of knowledge. There's the head knowledge thing, and then there's the experiential knowledge. And this command that Paul gives in the original text infers experiential knowledge. And so if I want to grow my knowledge of him, fantastic, we're called to that, to learn the context, to learn about Caesarea Philippi. And I could go on, you know, the Gospels are just everywhere. You can go deeper, everywhere. But but if if your heart's lean is, I want to increase my knowledge of him, but with, with him. And I go back to the marriage thing. I don't want to read books about my wife or, or just learn, oh, this is her favorite food. She prefers this. X. Do you know what I mean? That's just my knowledge of. I want to spend time with her. My knowledge you know, of her will then increase as we laugh together, as we cry together, as we walk you know, the mountaintops and the valleys of life. That's the knowledge Paul wants we, us to have of God and his Holy Spirit. And when you're seeking that, which comes back to the abide, the, 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 that encounter, it's very easy to, to draw the line, I think. And my easy is not the right word. Simple, because simple action and easy aren't the same thing. And sometimes it's hard to actually go, actually, I think this is going to take me down a rabbit worm, which isn't going to be healthy. Whatever. Do you know what I mean? But if it's going to build you and it's going to build church and it's going to build others, then the context, dive right into it. And I believe that's pretty much every example in the Bible. If your motivation is just head knowledge, then let's step back and question that. 
Biblical literacy is important. Asking questions of the Bible is important. You're right. Leviticus, if you take it, same in Numbers, you've got some very challenging passages just to read on their own. You, you mustn't cut, cut and copy. The, the Bible is a document that fits. It's God's story of redemption. So you must have asked the question, why was that said? What's the context? But the thing you must also learn to do is learn to question yourself. What's my bias? What's my upbringing? What's my own biblical literacy? What's my agenda in this situation? Because I think when the two things come together, when we ask questions of the text, but we also become more at ease at asking questions of ourselves, we learn how to apply the line of, gosh, God is speaking to us. Because, because he is. And he wants to speak to his church. He wants to move his church forward. He wants it to be expansive in energy that impacts and touches people's lives in a way that they cannot be the same afterwards. And so context helps fuel and drive all of that rather than being an excuse to dismiss. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's nothing that's an excuse to dismiss. It's learning how to apply it to the now, to the relevant. And I think that comes from the abide thing. And, it, and I think the Holy Spirit gives us that discernment where we can go, well, that's going to really help me now. Does that make sense? So, yeah. Yeah, no, that does. And I think um, you touched on something that's quite helpful for dealing with difficult passages as well is always, look, you know, we don't ignore it because we don't pretend it's not there because we know it's there for a reason. Mm. But we ask a question, how does that fit in with the grand like narrative arc or what I already know to be true yeah. about this? Like, we know God is all loving and all the rest of it. So yeah. how do I reconcile that with that and that? kind of helps with those and what god was trying to do you know god god in with the, with the with these early nation you know you read the first five books of the bible who were slaves he's trying to the law is trying to keep them safe learn how to get some discipline because they've been ruled and being a slave is very different to being free he'd taken them out of egypt but i think i read so you know they still had the mentality of slavery and so they needed the bat like they needed this to learn how to live free, live worshipping a God, follow him. It's all about God redeeming his people. And when you learn to question the context, but also yourself, oh my gosh, there's so much revelation there, even in some of the most challenging passages, which if you take them on their own, might initially make you think, oh gosh, I want to read that. Quick, let me go back to the Gospels. You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. And you look at like the Ten Commandments or whatever, and if you look at it through one lens, you can be like, oh, there's a list of restrictions. Look at it through another lens, you're like, actually, every single one of those is for human flourishing and yeah. for the better, you know. Anyway, which is quite interesting. It's Perspective, for, right? It's key. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's let's jump on some um, quick fire questions, shall Love we? Um, so what one thing do you know now which you wish you'd known as a 20-year-old? That's good. Yeah, I, I, I guess it circles back to the wisdom thing again. Um, just, you know, you've got to le learn to listen, learn not to be quick to, to speak, learn to spend time in a, in a way with God, like I said, without agenda. I think at 20, I was still very much in that mindset of, have I made the right choice? Has this messed up the next five years of my life? God, I was very, I think, pretty agenda-driven. And what I needed to have done is brought the things that were concerning me to God, of course, but that trust thing. And I think um, 
It's really tough because it's the butterfly effect, right? If you could have said that to yourself as a 20, you probably wouldn't be here now because you'd have made different decisions. So I know when, it's the matrix again. We're not going to go down that route. But I guess I wish that if somebody had said, do you know what I'm really grateful for? I had people around me when I was 20 who were actually awesome. I had some fantastic advice. I had some fantastic mentors. I was in a great church. That's where I met my wife. So I'm really, it's not like when I was 20, I was like, everything was wrong. I'm actually really grateful for that which was said to me when I was 20, because I believe it has shaped where I am today. So I don't know if that's a quick fire answer, but I think um, I don't look back with regret thinking, oh, I wish I'd known that. There's pretty much nothing I don't think where I'm like, I wish I'd known that because it would have shaped a whole heap. Yeah. I'm grateful for the eight years I spent teaching. They, they instilled in me a lot of things, which is super helpful now. Yeah, yeah no, that's fine. That's fine. Mm. So next one, gospel in one minute. Gospel in one minute. Love that. I'm, I'm going to answer it slightly differently, if that's okay. Um, and here's why. When you, get to, when you get to a point where somebody asks you about what does this all mean, what is the gospel, whether you're on a platform, whether you're one-to-one in a park, I don't know, um, you always have more than a minute. But it's a good exercise to do because it helps you the craft, right, of your story and and the gospel. And so much of our story needs to come through in our telling of the gospel. And I don't think we should just have a rehearsed thing. But scripture and key points in scripture are very important. You know, John 3.16 is fantastic. But just quoting John 3.16 at somebody, you've got to help unpack that. But I think through your story really really helps because the gospel in itself will provoke a whole heap of questions right that we're all spending our lives figuring out what does it mean that jesus died and the forgiveness thing and how does that make sense how does god have a son when he's always been and he's jesus is the same as do you know what i mean so there's an element of faith so i mean owen mcmanus is, is a real mentor of mine i've never met him but um when he presents the gospel and he speaks on a platform, I'm sure when he speaks to individuals, he invites people to tell, and I love this, to take a step of faith. Not a jump, not have everything figured out, but hey, you know, in a sense, and here, here's, I guess, part of my answer, there is a God who is real, who is for you, who loves you, and who does not desire religion, but relationship with you. And that is made possible through the death and resurrection of his son, John 3.16. I love it's in Colossians 1, I think it's verse 20, in the Passion Translation, that through the death of his son, God is returning and bringing everything to its original intent. And it it says this phrase, restoring to innocence. If you are prepared to take this step, you won't have all the answers. But his Holy Spirit will come into your life and the restoring work will begin and you will experience something you've never experienced before a peace in your heart which is promised to us in scripture and so would you take the first step on a journey i think is the best invitation to the gospel rather than here's a neat package can you tick yes or no in a box would you take would you oh, you've got a lot of questions and the answer to a lot of them is you'll find out you'll see but would you take this first step and if you there's a community of people like you we call it the church who would love to support you, to answer questions, to walk with you. We're going to give you and equip you with God's word, scripture. Here you go. Read it. Have questions. There's no question that's a stupid question. I was asked by a new Christian once about why there's numbers 
in the Bible? What are these, all these little numbers? And to somebody who's grown up in church, what a silly question. Chapters and verse, obvious. No, not obvious. So there you go. It's longer than a minute, but I think the gospel in a minute, it's about an invitation to adventure and journey. Would you take the first step, not have everything figured out? And I think that's that's a way which people can respond to. I love that. Um, yeah, that's really good. I think one of the verses I often come back to is that Isaiah 50, whatever, um, might not even be in the 50s, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, i.e. don't expect to understand everything before you... Yeah. Um, you it's, know. I, I can... This is super nerdy, and I, I don't want to come across as super spiritual, but I've actually been not writing a message, but spending time with God around... It's Isaiah 55. Right, and great. It's beautiful. <laughs> and it's that my words are not, you know, my thoughts... Yeah. But my word, when it goes out, it doesn't return void. And he gives this beautiful picture in Isaiah of the word of God, like the water cycle, the geography, you know, ticks my button. You know. <laughs> How it the waters the plants and the crops and, the, and everything. So, yeah, it's beautiful. But, yeah. No, that's great. Um, so how do you keep going through discouragement and dark night of the soul? I, I think it, we keep coming back. It's that, you know, it depends, you know, discouragement and, and like you said, the dark, it comes from many places. It can come from loss, grief, and I don't want to make any of those smaller than they are because they're not, they're huge. And the Bible teaches us how to grieve. It talks about grief. Jesus grieved. In Thessalonians, it talks about we don't grieve as the world grieves. We have a peace and a hope. But that's, that's tough when something's just happened. So... With others, it's about being present, not having the answers, but being present. With yourself, the dark night of the soul, it's about seeking the presence of God. And you might, it, you might be there because you feel discouraged. You might be there because you feel humiliated. You might be there because you feel you've missed an opportunity. You know, we find ourselves in these, in these points of distance from God where he maybe feels distance, but he's not. He's, he's not distant. It's our perception, it's our awareness of him. And I, I truly believe with all my heart that if you've developed a daily rhythm of encounter, where God isn't a to-do list, something on a to-do list, he's something you look forward to, that you give your best cognitive energy to, wherever that is in the day. I believe that when we hit those moments, and they are coming, you know, it says in James, tribulation, you know, Jesus even promises it. In, in, he says to his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. Fear not because I yeah. have overcome. I believe that when you have the daily, the encounter thing, you have that awareness of the Holy Spirit where you can cry out and plead and say to God, I don't understand, and cry and mourn and get real, whatever it is, the night, the dark night of the soul. But stay there. Stay there in the presence of God. Don't try, you know what I mean? And if you've spent time with him, you'll have learnt to hear and recognise his voice. So there's actually a verse I was going to talk about yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're welcome to. Um, grieving, I think, is something that we don't talk about, maybe culturally or I don't know what the sort of reason is, but often we try and brush it off. And sometimes as Christians as well, we feel like we ought not to be seen to be in that kind of space because yeah. you know oh it's happy 
because we know overall everything's going to be all right, which yeah. is true. But um, yeah, so I love that thought that actually it's something that we do need to give attention to and, yeah. and justice to. And I think um, Patrick Regan's been good on that and his stuff around mental health. Mm. And um, Ben Brumel gave an excellent message on lamentation. Yes. Was it Permission to Cry? I permission think it was called, which fantastic is fantastic message. Worth looking yeah. up on YouTube if you're watching. Yeah. Because um, I think it's there. So. Mm. Um, so any recommendations of books or podcasts or social media, even accounts to follow that you, you go to for encouragement and inspiration and learning and all the rest of it? Yeah, I think I'd absolutely. And I, I, if I can give the context of the recommendation, um, it's good to have mentors. There's, there's a guy, um, my, my a boss, if you like my boss, boss, at one level, if you like, is is um, a guy called Robbie Lewis, who looks after our sort of cities around the UK, and he um, gave this message to us about having a personal board of directors, people you allow to speak into your life, and I love it as a mental image. Mentors, some you've met, some you haven't. People that you give permission to in different areas: finance, health, leadership, pastoral care, whatever the different areas of your life are that they can sit at your table and you can give credit to their words, permission to, for them to speak. So for me, I don't have hundreds of things that I'm like, I, I actually don't like to spend loads of times on like Instagram because, you know, Coma talks about it, you know, um, because it is, it is governed by algorithms that monetize our attention, right? So it's very clever how easy it is to get sucked down a hole, no matter how noble, and to just spend time there. But with that being said, learning how to use it properly is important. I'm not saying abstinence. Abstinence can often be a, you know, something we go to too quick when actually we just need to learn how to use something well. So I follow and I love um, on Instagram, Bob Goff. Great guy. I mean, pretty much every day he wakes up and he just puts a quote on there, which will radically make you think different. I'm just going to put that out there. Christine Kane is very similar. He's not promoting something. He's not selling something. He never puts it as a, like a picture of himself. He often just puts like a landscape and he just puts a, and it's all fueled by this, his MO, his life purpose, which is love does. Love does. Instead of always asking why, ask how. How can I love in this situation? Not should I, but how can I? And he, so he's brilliant. And, um, I think it's the without agenda thing. So he's great. Books, uh, you know, I've, I've off the back of reading John Mark Comer, but I love, I don't know, I just love people who like scuba diving into God's word, if I can use that as an analogy. And so Eugene Peterson, uh, pretty much everything, but I, the, as when Kingfishers Catch Fire is just amazing. As a book, recent read, there's a great book I've read, um, all about actually coronavirus and it's by tom wright nt wright and he's it's called god and the pandemic and I'd, if you especially if you're in leadership or if you've been asked questions around where is god in this and what does it mean read that book because it is just beautifully simplistically written to bring clarity through scripture to this crazy year that we've been in. it's about 80 or 90 pages long so it's called god and the pandemic it's very good um, leadership podcast, Brian's, Brian Houston's leadership podcast is gold. Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast, 
he just has some really great people on there that he talks to and interviews obviously this podcast <laughs> i wasn't going to say that first but you know um i just my advice would be little and often rather than having like hundreds of things that you'd maybe dip in and out of put people around your board table that can speak to you would be my overall advice yeah that's given me a lot of um mm. things to go and look up and so there you that's go. great that's great that's been sorted for the rest of the year um <laughs> Yeah, and if you could send one sort of tweet-sized message to the younger generation today, like young adults, and um, what what would it say? Don't I mean, it would it. probably be something that I've, I'd steal from someone like Bob Goff because literally every day he um, he puts something there, which I just was like, "Wow, how do you even come up with that?" I mean, I just think. The theme that runs through all of this, through whatever you're doing, through everything we read in the gospel, through whatever sphere of influence you find yourself in, whatever age you're at, is, you know, God, God is love. And uh, the 1 Corinthians 13, which is so often, you know, demoted just to weddings. It's not a hit on anyone who's had that read at the wedding. It's a beautiful scripture to read anywhere. But let's just do everything through the fa- through the focus through the perspective of love every decision you make make the decision that is just the best for the person i'm deciding about and the situation i'm deciding in and not for the betterment of myself because that really is the practical outworking of of loving others and um so it'll be something cool along the you know well written along the lines of basically Let's let's live the perspective of our lives. Others, others first. That that that. Um, in fact, we talked about it just recently. The whole being right thing, as a final thing. So maybe it'd be around something like that. You know, sometimes we get it can be so ugly when we're convinced we're right and we get passionate about something, but without love, without compassion, passion can get pretty ugly. I mean, it did in the Bible. It chopped off ears and shouted at children you know they thought the disciples thought they were right but they've forgotten the kindness thing and jesus always embodied in every encounter passion but also compassion so always in everything you do let's be kind let's let's put others first because i think you're pretty much just not going to have a bad day in terms of your relationships with people if you learn learn to step back and love there you go learn to step back <laughs> that is a great uh note to end on i think mm. so thanks for sharing that thanks for sharing everything no today. it's a pleasure thank you and um yeah yeah great um all the best with everything going forward uh, exciting times ahead and uh, yeah, yeah we'll we'll see you next time so uh ladies and gentlemen thanks for watching thanks for being with us um yeah big round of applause from your behind your screen or mm. in your earphones to pete for his time his thoughts and all that and um you can find us online if you want to drop any feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got questions, specific questions, general questions, things you'd like us to talk about in the future, um, you can comment in the YouTube uh, in the comment section or you can find us on Instagram at make underscore you underscore known. And until next time, take care. <laughs>